0: Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject. So I want you to invite family and friends, get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Welcome everyone and happy new year. I am your host, founder, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Happy New Year. To God be all the honor and glory. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I am excited about the things that God has in store for learning Bible truth in the year 2022. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, We are embarking on episode two of a series. I don't know how long it's going to be meaning. I don't know how many episodes. It could be nine, could be 10, could be five, could be four. It just depends on the amount of information I'm going to share or the amount of information I choose to share. So without further ado, let's get this truth on the road. Um, The name of this series is... Do you know the signs of the second coming of the Messiah? It is very important that you do, saints, and I'm talking to believers only, those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I know I have listeners that are on the fence. They have not accepted Christ. They are listening, and my prayer for you is that you open your mind and allow God to give you the understanding because it is my responsibility to share the word rightly divided and not complicated, but it is God's responsibility to search your heart. And if you are sincere and you have an open mind, he will give you the understanding. Okay. So let's get this truth on the road. And for those of you who haven't heard or listened to episode one, I advise you to do so, so that you can understand the foundation of this series. You need to know the foundation so that you can understand where we are going and why we are going. So, um, let's get this truth on the road. In the gospel, according to Matthew, hallelujah, the gospel, according to Matthew, Jesus explains to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the priests and religious teachers of the law, be executed and rise on the third day. But when Peter heard this, he found it hard to accept. He took Jesus aside and basically told him, stop talking like this. Peter said, far be it from you. But it is the answer that Jesus gave Peter that we need to focus on. Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You see things only from a human perspective or from the, the perspective of a man and not from God. Now, that's in Matthew 16 21, 23. Now, you guys already know, those who listen to me on a regular basis, that we are not going to read every single scripture that I study because we will be here six, seven, eight hours. So when I call out scriptures that I am not quoting, write them down so that you can read and study them later. But like I said, we need to focus on why Jesus said to Peter, the apostle Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, was he referring to Peter as Satan? No. Satan had gotten into Peter and made Peter say those things. And Jesus had recognized that Peter was saying things that he didn't quite understand and had allowed Satan to, uh, or either give Satan a foothold to come in and, and cause Peter to say those things. Now I know that what Jesus said to Peter, it sounds a bit harsh but can you see why Jesus responded this way? That's what we need to talk about. Now with the benefit of hindsight, we can see what Peter did not see. Without the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are condemned to die in our sins. Now there would be no redemption, that would be impossible, and we would have no hope. Now there wouldn't be anything related to redemption if Christ was not going to the cross to be crucified for the sins of the world. So you have to remember that Jesus was going to the cross to die for the sins of the whole world. And that's the reason he came. So why did Peter try to rebuke Jesus? Why? That's what we're going to talk about. The answer is clear when you put yourself in the shoes of a, a, a first century Israelite. Now, before the crucifixion, Peter and the other apostles had had a far different view of Jesus than they did later in life. Now, at that time, the Jewish people eagerly anticipated the coming of God's Messiah, a man they believed would conquer their Roman oppressors and establish a worldwide everlasting physical kingdom of justice and righteousness. Now, Peter and his fellow apostles looked at Jesus and they didn't see a man destined to be crucified. Instead, they saw Daniel's prophesied Messiah, the one given authority over the whole world, whose rule is eternal and whose kingdom is never ending or either everlasting. That's in Daniel chapter seven, verse 14. They weren't wrong to think this way, saints. Mm -mm. Jesus confirmed he was Daniel's prophesied ruler, when he told the high priest that he would see the son of man at the right hand of God coming on the clouds of heaven. That's in Mark 14, verse 62. Now, the problem is that Jesus referred to a future event while the apostles expected fulfillment in their day and time. The question is, why did the apostles expect this? The mistake came when they failed to recognize the why of his coming or the, or, or, or the nature of his coming. So what did they fail to see? That the Messiah would come twice. That's what they failed to see. First, as a suffering servant offered as a blood sacrifice for the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that. And secondly, as a conquering king who would establish an everlasting kingdom. That's in the prophet Daniel's prophecies in chapter seven. Now, both sets of prophecies point to Jesus. Yes, both sets of prophecies in Isaiah and Daniel point to Jesus, but Peter and the other apostles had no clue. They didn't understand that these were two different events. Now, uh before setting up his everlasting kingdom Jesus came first to save the world. Yes. Uh-huh. Like Peter, many Christians today have a similar misconception, not about the first coming, but about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And just like his first coming, you can't understand the second coming unless you first understand why he came. So we need to focus on why Because before you can understand when it will happen, you need to understand how it would happen. So what is this misconception? It's the same as the first one. The Messiah will come twice. So I want you to go to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. And for these scriptures, I will be reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT, New Living Translations. I may switch to the New King James or the NIV, but for now, for these scriptures, I'm reading from the New Living Translations. So, uh, beginning at verse 15, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. The New King James says that, um, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So um, let's continue at verse Uh, 17. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever, or we will forever be with the Lord. Verse 18. So encourage each other with these words. Now, saints, I need you to go to Revelation chapter 19. And I will be reading verses 11 through 16. And you guys, y'all know the process um, so that, you know, I can um, reserve some time. I'm going to commence the reading and you can pause the tape while I do that because you have the ability to do so. And when you find the scriptures and you come back, we'll be on the same page. But for the sake of time, I will be reading Revelation chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Verse 12, his eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was given on him that no one understood except himself. Oh yes, verse 13, he wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. Y'all know in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And y'all know those scriptures are referring to Christ Jesus. So his title was the word of God. Hallelujah. Now verse 14, the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. Verse 15, From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, not nation, the nations. It doesn't exclude any nation. He will rule them with an iron rod. Rule who? The nations with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And finally, verse 16, on his robe, at, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That's the end of these verses. Now, you may have a verse that says King of king and Lord of lords, but if you think about it, it says the same thing. It says King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Now, both these passages of scripture... They describe the physical return of Jesus Christ, but they also describe two distinct different depictions of his return. Did you catch that? Two distinct differences of, um, or depictions of his return. And I'm talking about first Thessalonians chapter four, verses 15 through 18, and then revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. So I want you to keep in mind that Jesus will return twice. So it basically sounds like he's coming three times, but no, while he was there dying for the sins of the world, that was his first coming. And I just spoke about two more future events that hasn't taken place yet. So it sounds like he's going to come three times, but that's not true. So I don't want to jump ahead of myself. I'm going to explain the differences between these two um, sets of scriptures from uh, 1 Thessalonians and from the book of Revelation. And we all know Revelation refers to the end times. So first, we're going to talk about the rapture. Yes, we are going to talk about the rapture. So let's take a look at how the Bible describes these two distinct events. Okay, now sometime in the future, Jesus will come down from heaven and meet Christians in the air, both the living and the dead. He won't actually set foot on the earth, okay, but will gather believers, the body of Christ, those that belong to him, together in the clouds with a shout and the sound of a trumpet in the voice of an archangel. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Now this is called the rapture. So for those who say, well, the word rapture is not even in the Bible, they don't understand the Bible. In the Greek, when it says caught up, it's talking about the rapture. We'll be caught up in the air with Christ. That's the rapture. Okay. And it will happen in a moment, in the, in the, the twinkling of an eye, or, or shall I say within a split second. Now, if you are a believer when this happens, you will see your body transform from the mortal bodies that we now have to a glorious eternal body that's written in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 and 52. This new body will be just like the glorious resurrected body that Jesus has. And you can read Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. Now, if you are not a believer, you'll remain on the earth and nothing will happen to your body. In fact, if not for some missing people, it's unlikely that you will notice anything happen at all. When the rapture occurs, Jesus will not set his foot or set up his eternal kingdom on earth. That's not when the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ will be set up. Instead, he will take believers back to heaven where he has prepared a place for us. Remember, he was telling the disciples that he was going away to prepare a place for them in John chapter 14, verses two and three. This is the sharp contrast to the actual second coming, which will occur at a later time. Okay, this is called rightly dividing the scriptures. So now let's talk about the second coming. I just, you know, gave you some information about the rapture. And so now we're going to talk about the second coming. Now, when the second coming takes place, Jesus will return to earth as the leader of heaven's army or either the Lord of hosts. Okay, he will come on the clouds of of heaven with great power and glory, which is written in Matthew 24, 30. His coming will be seen by the whole world. Colossians 3, 4 tells us this. And there will be deep mourning among the people of the world, not joy. Matthew 24, 30 speaks of that as well. He will physically set foot on the earth. Remember the two distinctions. When the rapture comes, he's not going to set or step foot on earth. But during his second coming, he will physically step foot on earth, okay? His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, to be exact. And it will split in two, prophesied by the prophet Zechariah in, in chapter 14, verse 4. Instead of coming for his holy people, he will come with them. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 7 through 10 tells us this. And he will execute judgment on the world, not just a a nation, not one nation on the entire world. And you can read that in Jude chapter one, verses 14 and 15. He will fight against the Antichrist, the Kings of the world and their armies. Revelation 19, 18 and 19 tells us this, and he will destroy the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth and the glory of his coming. That's second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. Now in doing so, he will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, prophesied by the prophet Daniel in chapter two, verse 44. And he will be given authority over all the nations of the world. Daniel seven, 13 and 14, all the nations, not one nation. See, there's only one God saints. I don't care how many gods religion creates, there is only one God. And he came in the physical body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh, became human. Okay. That was Jesus, the Christ. Now, the rapture versus the second coming is what we need to dissect here. Okay, so can you see now why the return of Jesus confuses so many people? Can you see? It's because he will come back twice. Now, if you think both these events are one and the same, it's understandable you will find it hard to reconcile the two accounts. This is the reason why some people claim Jesus will come unexpectedly while others claim he won't. It's the reason why some people claim he will meet believers in the clouds or in the air, while others claim he will come down to earth with an army of saints. Now, both claims are true. Yes, both claims are true. And any confusion is simply the result of our failure to understand the differences between these two accounts. Now, both involve the return of Jesus, but they are not one and the same. This causes the same type of confusion Peter and the apostles experienced when they failed to recognize the distinction between the Messiah as a conquering king and the Messiah as a suffering servant. So clearly there are a number of differences between the rapture and the second coming, but what do we know about their timing? is what we are going to talk about next. Now, we're going to talk about the Great Tribulation. Now, before we can fully understand the timing of these events, we must first understand an unprecedented time period described in the Bible. Both Jesus and Daniel call it a time of great anguish. than at any time since nations first came into existence. And this is talked about in the gospel according to Matthews chapter 24, verse 21, and the book of Daniel prophesied by Daniel in chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. So can you imagine that? Think of the horrors of the world, or remember, think of the horrors of World War II and the Holocaust. Now, can anything be worse than that? According to the Bible, the answer is yes. In the book of Revelation, John the Revelator describes the events of the Great Tribulation, events which include tormenting locusts, a great earthquake, a rainstorm of hell and fire, the death of one half of mankind, and a lot of other horrors. I can't list all of them right now. This seven-year period, yes, is going to take place within seven years is referred to by most Christians as the great tribulation. But the Bible uses many names, including the time of Jacob's troubles or either Jacob's troubles and the the 70th week of Daniel and the day of the Lord's vengeance or either the day of the Lord's wrath. Now, there's a lot to know about the Great Tribulation now. Entire books have been written about it and, and what it will bring. And we have to watch when a man write a book separate from the Bible, huh, giving his opinion. Some of them are accurate and some of them are not because I have a lot of them. Oh, yes. I based uh, some of my teaching in this series off of them. But that's after I, I confer with the Bible and the Holy Spirit to see if those statements are accurate. But for our purposes, two aspects are particularly relevant. First, it is a time when God will bring judgment upon the world. And second, it's marked by specific identifiable events. Knowing these two key points will help you understand the timing of the rapture and the timing of the second coming. Now let's talk about the timing of the rapture. Now, can we know the timing of the rapture? That's the question. To find out, let's examine some of some of its characteristics. According to the Bible, the rapture is, number one, not preceded by signs. Number two, it happens when life on earth is business as usual. And number three, it occurs before the great tribulation. So let's take a look at each one. Not preceded by signs. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say the rapture will be preceded by any signs or events indicating that it's near. Now, this is why so many people insist we can't know anything about the timing of Christ's return. It's because we can't, at least in regard to the rapture, we can't. Now, the confusion comes when people read scriptures about the rapture and attribute them to the second coming, but they are two different events. I just showed you guys in uh, what First Thessalonians mean and what uh, chapter 19 in the book of Revelation means, okay? So, then these people, what they do is they conclude that no one can know the timing of the second coming. Now, for example... Jesus tells a a, a parable about a man who went on on a long trip, but before he left, he gave each of his servants instructions on what to do. He told the gatekeeper to keep watch and stay ready for his return. He then said, we too must keep watch for we don't know when the master of the house will return. Okay. So don't be asleep when he arrives without warning. And that's written in Mark chapter 13, beginning at verses 34 and 36. So Jesus then commands us to watch for his return. Now in the parable of the 10 bridesmaids, Jesus tells the story of 10 women with lamps who go out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them bring along extra oil for their lamps, while the remaining five are foolish and don't bring enough for their lamps. They soon leave to go and buy more oil, and when they do, the bridegroom arrives now, Jesus represents the bridegroom, okay, the five uh bridesmaids who remain enter with Jesus into the wedding feast while the others are locked out, the procrastinators, those who are on the fence about Jesus because religion have clouded their minds and confuse them, making them think that, you know, you can get to God anyway, um, other than Jesus. That's a lie. And that's what these parables represent. So let me say this again, the parable that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25 verses one through 13, the five bridesmaids who remain, they enter with Jesus into the wedding feast while the others who were procrastinating had to go back and buy more oil because they weren't prepared. They are locked out. And remember, I told you guys, and I I say it often, if death catches up with you before you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, it's too late. You can't come back to get it right. It is going to be too late. And a lot of good people, well, put it this way, a lot of people we think are good people are going to burn in hell because they they are refusing to accept Christ. All you got to do is listen to the word of God with an open mind and with an open heart. And you will clearly see especially if you are sitting under teachers who are rightly dividing and not complicating the scriptures. Okay. So the lesson here is Jesus says, keep watch for you don't know the day or the hour of his return. And like I said, a few seconds ago, that's written in Matthew 25, beginning at verse one, all the way through verses, um, one through 13. Now, in both of these parables, Jesus tells us to be prepared for his return at all times, because without warning, the rapture could occur at any moment. The rapture is what is not preceded by signs. It can occur at any moment. So when life is business as usual, when the rapture occurs, life on earth, according to the Bible in Luke 17 30, will be business as usual you know there won't be the slightest indication of its rise. Mm-mm. We won't have a clue when the rapture occurs. Jesus said it it will be like it was in Noah's day. He said that in Luke 17:26. So what was it like in Noah's day? In Noah's day people live life normally right up until the day of the flood. Even though Noah had warned them for over a hundred years. His neighbors ignored him and went on with their lives like, you know, business as usual. In fact, they organized banquets, parties, and weddings right up until the moment Noah and his family entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed the world. So Jesus is telling us that life will seem like normal right up until the very moment of the rapture. Now, along similar lines, Jesus said the world before the rapture will be as it was in the days of Lot. He said this in Luke 17 verse 28. So what was it like? Right up until the moment Lot and his family left Sodom, the people of that city went about life as usual. It was a normal day of plowing and and building and eating and drinking and buying and selling. Then fire came from heaven and destroyed all of them, every last one of them. So the rapture will come with no warning Mm -hmm. and believers will be snatched away in uh, a split second at the twinkling of an eye. So Jesus says that as the world goes about its business, people will suddenly disappear. And with, with that said, you guys remember, um, the, uh, movie left behind. Look for that movie Left Behind because it's talking about after the rapture occurs. Yeah, the movie Left Behind. Now, I ain't trying to scare you because if you're in Christ, you have nothing to be scared about. All you have is is joy ahead of you because you won't be left back here for for the wrath that's coming. So that's why when, when we say saved or salvation, we are talking about saved from the wrath that's coming. It's going to be worse than World War II and it's going to be worse than the holocaust. So if you can picture that, would you want to be left here to experience that? God promised that his people won't be left here. So we have to think about that the rapture will come with no warning and and will be and 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 believers, those who are in Christ, the body of Christ, his church will be snatched away within a split second. So Jesus says that as the world goes about its business, people will suddenly disappear. Two will remember in Luke 17, 31 through 36, Jesus said two will be lying in bed. One will be snatched or one will be taken away and the other left. And he says two will be grinding at the mill or either grinding flour. One will be snatched or taken away and the other will be left. The one, I want you to figure out which one going to be left and which one going to be taken away the one that's going to be taken away is the one who believed in Christ. The one who's going to be left here is the procrastinator. The ones who went back to go and buy extra oil. Okay. The ones who haven't accepted Christ. Those are the ones who will be left here. So excuse me, let's talk about what's going to occur before the great tribulation. Now we know from God's character, that he will not pour out his judgment on those who place their faith in him. This is why God spared Noah and his family. It's also why God spared Lot and his family. So in addition, it will be out of character for God to pour out judgment on on, uh, or during the great tribulation while believers are still here on earth because God chose to save us through Jesus Christ, not pour out his wrath on us. You can read that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Okay. Now, and this is how we can confirm this, because Jesus said so. He promised to keep believers, those who are in him, which are called the body of Christ, from the great tribulation that comes upon the whole world. This is written in Revelation 3, 10. Now, in addition, we know that the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit must be taken away before the Antichrist arrives and the great tribulation takes place. This is written in um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. But how can the Holy Spirit, or shall I say why, is the Holy Spirit going to be taken away? After all, the Holy Spirit resides in the hearts of all men and women who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, the only reason and and the only way it can be removed is if those same believers are taken away from this earth before the great tribulation. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the rapture must occur before the great tribulation. Okay. Now in the end, this is all we can really know about the timing of the rapture, that it occurs before the great tribulation. Now the rapture is a signless event. It is not preceded by signs. And once the great tribulation occurs, the world will have a lot of signs. I mean, plenty of signs, but the second coming that's a completely different story because the signs will tip us off. Uh Uh-huh. The Bible says specific signs will precede the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we are not only told to be familiar with them, we are commanded to look for them. So the timing of the second coming by its nature or why, The second coming is not an unexpected event, let me say that, because the Bible tells us it will occur at the end of the great tribulation which is an event chronicled in great detail by the prophet Daniel and John the Revelator. Now, if you read the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, you will see why that day can't sneak up on anyone like a thief in the night. Now, during the great tribulation, horrible judgments will rain down on this entire earth more than half of the world's population will die according to the Bible and the entire world will be dominated by the antichrist at that time. So how could any of these things happen and the world remain in darkness about his second coming? They can't. And that's why those who know and understand God's word, hallelujah, will be able to predict the timing of the second coming in advance. Now, according to Jesus, the second coming is an event that must be preceded by signs. He says there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars that's recorded in the gospel. According to Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 25, and there will be greater anguish on earth than at any time in history. Oh, and don't we see hate going around today? You can get shot at a red light just for looking to the side and that person in the other vehicle think you looked at them wrong and all of a sudden you did. Unbelievable. And so there will be great anger on earth than at any time in history. Now, false messiahs and false prophets will perform deceptive miracles so convincing that if possible, they could even deceive even God's elect. Or either God's chosen people, Matthew 24:24. 24, 24. So, how could these types of signs be present and the second coming of Jesus arrive unexpectedly? And I will say again, it cannot to illustrate. Here's a short but not comprehensive list of events that must take place before the second coming can happen. Okay, saints. Now listen to this in Ezekiel uh 38 and chapters 39. So when I say 38 and 39, I'm talking about chapters, Ezekiel chapter 38 and, and all the way through to chapter 39, an alliance of nations led by Russia and Iran will invade Israel. Okay. The Antichrist will be revealed. That's in 2 Thessalonians two eight. Israel will sign a treaty with the Antichrist prophesied by Daniel in 9.27. The Antichrist will desecrate the temple written in Matthew 24, 15. These are future events that haven't taken place yet. The Antichrist will perform counterfeit miracles and deceive the people of the whole world. Written in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 9 through 12, a global government will rule the world. That's in Revelation 13 verse 7. Now, two of God's witnesses will be killed in the streets of Jerusalem and the whole world will view their bodies. That's written in Revelation chapter 11, verses one through 12. The armies of the world will gather together at Armageddon. That's written in Revelation 16, 16. So I don't know why people are afraid of um, the book of Revelation. It does speak of the end times and events that will occur. But if you are in Christ Jesus and covered in his blood, you are saved from everything that's coming. We are saved from God's judgment. We are saved from the wrath that's due to come. Okay. But here's the key. How could Jesus return unexpectedly if all these events must happen first? Uh -uh, He can't. The reality is that Jesus can't return unexpectedly under these conditions. When these events finally occur, anyone familiar with the Bible will know what's coming next. Jesus verified this when he said, just as circling vultures indicate a nearby caucus, so these signs indicate the end is coming. That's recorded in Matthew 24 verse 28. So if someone asks you, if we can know the timing of the second coming, your answer should be a definitive yes. Now we can't know the day or the hour. Please hear that part. Cause I don't want nobody to go online saying Dr. Kamala D predicting that. No, uh-uh. we cannot know the day or the hour, the second or the minute or the year. That's recorded in Mark 13, 32, but we can know the general time frame because the second coming is preceded by signs, the great tribulation, the antichrist, the horrible judgments and other major events must occur. Now, Peter also prophesied about the, the second coming of Christ. So what's the purpose of um, this series? its purpose is to help you understand the signs of the second coming. Its purpose is to point out that those signs are all around me and you right now. Uh Uh-huh. Yet, despite the fact that these signs are all around us, people continue to mock and ridicule those who believe the second coming is near. Believe it or not, the apostle Peter foresaw this. And he pointed to it as a specific sign of the end times. Now, almost 2000 years ago, Peter warned us that in the last days, people would mock the idea of Christ's return, talking about his second coming. Now, with, with sarcastic tones, you know, they would say things like, I thought Jesus was coming back. What happened to his promise? And yet since the beginning of of the world, everything remains the same. Now I I, I went through this at work a couple of times. Now a lot of people uh, that work in the office with me, they don't know I'm an ordained minister. They don't know that I am a teacher of the word. What they do know is that I'm different from everybody in the office. Okay. They, they do know that I'm a Christian, but they have no idea that I'm a teacher. I just didn't want to make them feel uncomfortable. But I had a young lady in the office where we were watching the news because in our office, we have a big flat screen on T on the wall And they had a vehicle accident that killed six people in the vehicle. And I saw that and I said, oh my goodness, my heart reaches out to the family members. And a young lady said, well, um, how come Jesus didn't save them? How come Jesus didn't didn't resurrect them from the car? Now, this young lady was being sarcastic. She's saying these things out of ignorance. And my heart went out to her. And I just looked at her and said, ask him. Ask him. And she was mocking. So the the prophecies that, that Peter prophesied about people mocking the second coming and Jesus being resurrected and, and, and returning, because um, she did say this, after all, isn't he supposed to return? I didn't say anything after that. I I I, I don't get into uh, those foolish uh, discussions with people who are ignorant because I'm well a student in this Bible and I know they don't know. I know they don't know. And remember, Peter made these statements in second Peter chapter three, verses three and four. So I don't know about you, but I hear people say these things all the time. And if it's not verbatim, it's similar to what um, uh, Peter said they will say. Now, on a regular basis, it's accepted as fact. But is it true? Is the world the same as it, it, it's always been? Of course not. But that doesn't stop people from saying it is. The truth is that the world we live in today is dramatically different from anything that past generations would even remotely recognize. Now, by itself, this isn't such a big deal. But for thousands of years, the world was very much the same. Now, don't you find that a bit strange? Now, I want you to keep in mind that the signs surrounding us today, uh, they were not present for the first 1900 plus years of Christianity. So it's not as if these signs have always been around. So for the first time in history, Christianity can point to visible signs of the imminent fulfillment of the Bible's second coming prophecies regarding the Messiah. So could the Millerites say the same? Nope. These signs weren't present for the Millerites in 1844 when they predicted the year and, and, and the week and the month that, that Christ was going to return. And those foolish people who were ignorant of the word of God believed them, sold all their stuff. I wonder what they did after that. I didn't keep up with it after that. Now they weren't, these signs were not present in the year 1000 or the year 1500, but they are present today. Nevertheless, Peter's scoffers would have us believe that the world is the same now as it always have been. But you will soon see that, you know, that that line of thinking is absolute foolishness. Now, in the process, I hope you will draw the same conclusion I have, that now is the season of Christ's long-awaited return. Now, when I say this, I want to be clear about something. I'm not a prophet. I am a teacher in the body of Christ. I don't have any special knowledge from God apart from the discernment that God has given me in the Bible regarding scriptures when I teach. Jesus himself says that no man can know the day or the hour of his return. And that definitely includes me. So let me say that. Okay. Now I don't know if Jesus will come next year or or 10 years from now or 50 years from now, or he can come tonight, but I do know we are extremely close within expected lifetime or or within our expected lifetime for sure. Uh Uh-huh. Because I recognize the signs. Okay. Now, so recognizing the signs is the key here. When the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus gave a detailed description of what to look for. And he said, these signs indicate that the end is near. He said this in in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 28. You need to read those. As a matter of fact, you need to read all the scriptures that I'm, I'm calling out. The signs that Jesus said to look for are clear and they are unambiguous. Okay, they aren't hidden to us. And Jesus said, when you see them, you should look up because your salvation is near. He said that in Luke 21, verse 28. Now, in other words, when you see the signs Jesus described, you should expect his return soon. And that can be later tonight or 50 years from now. Now, I'm getting ready to read a scripture from Matthew 24, 38. That's going to knock your socks off. And this is going to guarantee and confirm what I said um, during this episode, that it will be in our lifetime. Okay. So Jesus says, um, soon enough that the generation witnessing these signs will not pass away before his return. Matthew twenty four thirty four. Let me say that again. Jesus said soon enough that the generation witnessing these signs will not pass away before his return. Who won't pass away? The generation that witnessed these signs will not be gone before his return. So did you catch that? Jesus didn't say these signs will appear and then he might come. He didn't say these signs will appear and then he'll come a thousand years later. No, he was very clear. Jesus said this generation will not pass away before he returns, the ones who witnessed these signs. So when he first came, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees for their failure to recognize the signs of the times, which is written in Matthew 16 verses one through three, because the Old Testament prophets foretold his coming. In fact, the prophet Daniel foretold the exact year of his arrival and the prophets revealed intimate details about the Messiah's birth, his ministry, his miracles or the miracles that he performed and ultimately his death and resurrection. The prophets foretold that, especially the prophet Daniel. So Jesus scolded these religious leaders saying, you know how to predict the weather by looking at the sky but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. The Pharisees and the Sadducees knew these prophecies or they should have known these prophecies better than anyone else, but they chose to ignore them or either they didn't understand them. Now in the same manner, Jesus will hold us accountable for our failure to recognize the signs of his second coming. He wasn't just talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. uh Uh-uh. He was talking to you and me. He was talking to us. He was talking to the believers of this age. Now, I want you to think about it. If you see a pregnant woman, it's safe for us to say that she's going to give birth to a baby soon, depending on how big and far out her stomach is. Now, you may not know what day or hour she'll give birth, but you know it's coming. You know, We do know a baby is coming. And when you see dark clouds on the horizon, what do you think? A storm is coming. That's how we know that the clouds is getting ready to burst and getting ready to just tear this ground up. As a matter of fact, we have some bad we- weather coming here in Louisiana, bringing in a cold front uh, beginning tomorrow night or either tonight and tomorrow. And I mean, it's going to be like 30 degrees lower than it is today. But how do we know? We're going to see the, the clouds in the sky. So um, I will say this. Jesus says, if you can identify those events from the signs you see ahead of time, you can also identify the general time of his arrival based on the signs that we see. And he clearly tells us what those signs are. He also says, when you see them, his return will be near. Okay. So, um, we may not know the year, we may not know the day, or we may not know the hour and we shouldn't, but we should expect to identify the season, just like you would identify a storm cloud coming. We know a storm is following that cloud. So let's take a look at some of the signs of, that the Bible tells us to look for. Oops, we are out of time. <laughs> Now, I'm certain that if you study these signs, study the scriptures that um, we talked about in this second episode, you'll recognize them all around you. And what will you conclude? Uh, I hope that you will conclude the same thing that I have, that Jesus is right at the door, that he's coming soon and now is the season of his return. So Saints, episode three, I am sure you can't wait to hear it. I will share it next weekend. It will be either Saturday or Sunday, okay? I will try to share it Saturday depending on um, some functions I may have to attend. But I will share it next weekend, okay? So until next time, I want you to stand by for some information on how to contact the ministry. If you have any questions or comments about this episode. uh, um, The upcoming messages will provide you an email. I will personally respond to the email. And as a matter of fact, before we go, let me tell you, on our ministry page, uh, Learning Bible Truth Ministries, Facebook, I opened up Pandora's box. I allowed people to send messages and questions about scriptures. Um, just to help them, help them grow, rightly divide the scriptures for people. Because I know personally, people just don't understand this Bible. They're not reading it. They believe in anything anybody say. Somebody can walk up to them off the streets and tell them something and they'll believe it because they can see that person. That's why Jesus said, blessed is the man who believes and have not seen. But I have been receiving some of the craziest questions to the point where I had to put a message on the ministry page and say, look, we are here for you. We are here to answer questions, but please make sure that you are sincere when you pose a question and that your question is rational. I've had people asking me about Abraham. Was he a Muslim? Was Abraham white? I mean, unbelievable. I've had people ask me, uh, who was the original Christ or who was the original Messiah? I mean, stupid questions. To where I did answer them now. It's in private messages. Um, I said, uh, can you rephrase the question? Because there's only one Messiah. The Bible talks about one Messiah. So what are you reading? What book are you reading? Because it can't be from the Bible. And that person never responded. But the other one in reference to Abraham, they did respond. They said, thank you. Because I did answer those questions about which tribe Abraham came from. And whether or not uh, Abraham was a Muslim, was he white and all that, that's foolishness. So make sure you ask me some rational questions. So stand by saints for an invitation to accept Christ and then information on how you can sow a seed into this ministry and how you can contact me directly. So peace out. Love you. If you don't know the risen savior, now is the acceptable time. today is the day of salvation. Saints, tomorrow is not promised to you. There will be a time where Jesus Christ will no longer be available to you and those who call upon the Lord will not be saved. So all you have to do is repeat after me. Go to Romans chapter 10 and we are going to read verses 9 and 10 you can include verse 11 so that it can give you understanding of verse 9 and 10. So saints, God made his salvation plan simple for every man, every walk of life, every ethnicity, every color of skin to come to him and be reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus. So let's say this prayer in all sincerity, Father God, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And your word says, if I confess this, that I am saved. So Father God, I believe that Jesus is your son and he is Lord. And I confess with my mouth that he is seated at your right hand because you raised him from the dead. Amen saints if you made that confession and you were sincere you should feel a change in your heart that is the seal of the holy spirit and you are sealed unto the day of redemption and no man can take your salvation away from you so saints i want you to join a faith-based teaching church contact learning bible truth You can continue to listen to learning Bible truth until you find a church home. Contact us and tell us what area you live in. And we will conduct a search and tell you what church is teaching Bible truth and direct you to that church so that you can be baptized. Yes, you are not saved by water baptism. Water baptism is symbolic to the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you come up out of that water, you come up as a new man, but you are saved before you get baptized. So saints, I hope that you were sincere. Play this tape for family and friends. Lead men to the risen Christ for salvation, because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. You were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button, or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign, Dr. Kamala D that is at dollar sign, capital D. Lowercase r, capital C, lowercase amale, capital D, and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.